My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Our Sunday School. Glad you guys are with us this morning. Welcome to those of you online. Glad you're with us as well. Uh, we've got several different things going on today, so uh, just be ready for slightly unusual I know makes Baptists extremely uncomfortable, so you're welcome. Uh, we may have a little Assemblies of God influence today, so we'll see. <laughs> it, for those of you online that couldn't see what happened, I just got 13 bird dogs. You're just like, whoop, what happened there? It's awesome. Uh, so let's read through uh, Philippians chapter 1. Uh, so you've got your Bibles, are in Philippians chapter 1. I'll read all the way through. Feel free to... Uh, read along, or even better, just listen to the text being read. And uh, we'll pick up today with just one verse on the plan for today. Um, Julie's like, what? Are we going back to one verse a week? <laughs> Maybe just for today. We'll see. So Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice because I know that this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. And I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. 
Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then when I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, and this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw that I had, and now hear that I have. Philippians chapter 1. Have you ever read a piece of literature and thought, boy, this author just doesn't care about the audience? Like you've just read something, there's there's just very little thought or structure or passion or engagement. You ever read anything like that? And math textbooks? Yes, that's probably, that, that pained me and I feel seen at the same time, right? Like that was, that was very true. Um, well, now you've like half offended me. That's fantastic. So thank you for that. Yeah, you too, right? Yeah, I mean, that's just the way this works, right? Um, I had a class in college. So I'm going to first rabbit trail today. There'll be a few. Uh, I had a class in college called History of Mathematics. So if you thought what we do today is boring, like let's study how we used to do it. Like how did the Babylonians add? It was complicated, Zeke. <laughs> it's like, ugh. Um, but like contrast, and I guess that's a good example. We'll, we'll run with it today. So contrast that the deadness and the dullness of a math textbook with the passion and energy that Paul writes to the Philippians. Like we can hear his love. We can hear his engagement. We can hear his care and concern and passion for these people. Um, and I love it. I, I love that I keep getting to read this chapter. It's fantastic. So there's that. All right, so today we're going to look at uh, Philippians. So we're in pages 76 to 79 in your green books. If you've got your green books or if you need one online, uh, you can go to OurSundaySchool.com and you can grab one of the green books there. Uh, But we are in pages 76 through 79 today, and we're only looking at, Lord willing, one verse, because that's as far as I've studied, so we can't go beyond it, but hopefully we'll get the whole thing done. Uh, The verse is quite simple. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, how many of you have seen this uh, verse on social media? Yes. Maybe you've seen this verse on social media today, even probably. I don't know. It's just, like it's just, it's all over the place. This is a very easily quotable verse. Um, I, I'm not going to stand up today and, and tell you I think it means 14 things that are brand new. And like, no, I just, we're going to really lean hard into what it looks like for our lives to live in a way that, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, makes Jesus big and our deaths to occur in a way that can make Jesus big. So we're going to come back to page 76 in just a minute. And I know page, so if you've got your green books, look at page 76. Does page 76 scare anybody? You like it? Page, it's Greek to me. Yes, thank you very much. Margie was first. Let the record show. Yes, very good. Uh, Dave? You got beat out today, man. Like, come on. This is... <laughs> He's like, I'm doing something biblical, I promise. Um, so so I want to I talk about the structure for just a second. Uh, I will tell you, I have not found a single scholar 
And when I say scholar, I mean somebody who's written a technical commentary on Philippians. I've not found a single scholar that agrees with the way the Christian Standard Bible has grouped these pericopes. So splitting it up to start a pericope is the section that we're studying. So verses 21 through 30. There we go. Thank you for the eye roll, Zeke. That helped me lean into the, the definition there. Um, roll was the wrong word. Your eyebrows went like... It's easy to tell because there's no like hair competing. So it's just, you know, it's there. Um, <laughs> involuntary response. Here you go. So this grouping of, of verses, verses 21 through 30, uh, is, is quite unusual if you were going to grammatically break down the original text. Um, it actually makes a lot of sense in English. It's not too terribly connected in Greek. So I, I, I want to just mention that. Uh, so if you have ever, like my Bible that I have has verse 20 ending at the bottom of one page and then a new pericope and a new sentence starting at the top of the next page. And I want to, because I've been trained when you read, like when you end a paragraph, you kind of take a break. It's not necessarily what's going on here. There wasn't a significant break in Paul's writing between 20 and 21. So if you heard me go very quickly into verse 21, that's the reason why. Um, I wasn't running out of time. It was, it's much more connected than it might appear in our English Bible. So with that, let's jump over to page 78 and start looking at the text. And like I said, we're going to come right back to page 76 in just a second. So, so on page 78, down at the bottom, what's the first English word? For, right? And the second English word? For me, okay. That is not the order in Greek. Now, if you look at the bottom of page 78 here for just a second, this Greek word, uh, M-A, uh, this is a personal pronoun, uh, and this is used, when it is used in the first person, it is used emphatically. Uh, you can, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard somebody read the scripture and they emphasized a very specific word, right? I did it when I was reading this verse. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that is actually how it is used in Greek. When, the, when this word, this personal pronoun, uh, M-A, is, uh, is used in the first person, it is emphatic. Now, there's, there's one other thing that you can do to make a word significant in the Greek language, and that's word order. Now, word order doesn't play in nearly as much in Greek as it does in Hebrew and other languages, uh, but... For this particular word, it actually does. So flip back over to page 76. What's the first Greek word? Me. So he's emphasizing, he's putting the emphasis on this is like my perspective on this. This is for my personal experience, for my situation. This is my perspective on this. Does that make sense? Everybody with me? All right, cool. Now, the reason it doesn't show up this way in pages 78, 79, 88 is because the Greek, if we were to just uh, translate every single word and keep it in the order that it is in Greek, it sounds like Yoda. And I'm grateful that we don't have a New Testament that does that, that there are, there are people who have studied for decades to learn how to put things together and to make them sound fluid and to smooth them out for us. 
but there are times when we lose just a little bit of what the original author's intent was because of some rewording type thing. So I like to lean into that. If, if I were writing a Bible, um, I would be very tempted to bold these types of things, to kind of lean into this a little bit for the reader, to like emphasize this. But uh, nobody has and nobody will ever ask me to write a Bible, so that's awesome. Because I don't know nearly enough about anything to do that, which is great. So, uh, for, so there is a reason for all this stuff before. For me, now on page 79, or we're going to stay on page 79, Lord willing, the rest of class today. For me to live. Now, this live is, zao um, uh, is the, the verb, the, the form here, zin. Uh, it's a present active infinitive. Uh, Hawthorne and Martin, and I'll, I'll mention one thing. If you remember, black and white pictures mean what? Yeah, they're, well, they're, they were old when they died. Yes, that's right. Um, they are, these brothers are no longer with us, so. Uh, that's going to matter here in just a little bit. Uh, so this present active infinitive, which is not a tense I lean into very often, but it talks about the process. He's accentuating the process of living. Uh, some translations would even say something like, for me, uh, living is Christ. Or living my life is Christ. This idea that I'm going I'm to press hard into, it's not just... Uh, live in general, but the process of living. So, and I've actually got highlighted the word is in my notes. Uh, there's no verb uh, for is. It's, it's added there. To live, Christ. And to die, and there's, again, there's no word for is there. Uh, and the die here is aorist active infinitive. This is accentuating the act of dying, the actual event itself without respect to time. Um, aorist is, that's an A-O-R-I-S-T word. Uh, it's a goofy thing. Uh, we don't have this equivalent in our language. Uh, the idea behind aorist is the, the, the grammarians call it punctiliar action, which just means it's the, the idea of the action itself without respect to any time. So it's the thing, and I'm not concerned about whether it's past, present, future, it's just the thing itself. So to live is Christ, to die is gain. So a couple of comments about this, and then we'll kind of lean back into the Greek for just a second. Uh, so Hellerman has a great quote here. Uh, he says, death is gain for Paul, and again, I want to press hard into this for Paul. This is Paul's personal view, his, his idea here. He's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but this is his perspective. Not because it provides an escape from his troubles. So is, is he having trouble right now? Are things great for Paul? Paul's like, everything's great. 10 out of 10, TripAdvisor review, right? No, not exactly. No, he's, he's likely shackled to a guard who's about to be shackled to another guard. He's under house arrest. This is not fun. He doesn't get to engage and be with who he wants to be with uh, because it means being with Christ. He's not saying dying gets me out of my prison and I'd be happy to die to get out of my prison. Does this make sense? Be happy to die because that means I'm with Christ. Like, oh, what an upgrade. This is significant. Because remember, what is the next thing that is going to happen to Paul? 
I mentioned this several times now, his trial. His trial is coming up. And what are the two options for the verdict? He can be declared guilty, which means very likely death, right? Or he can be declared innocent and very likely set free. Two general buckets that would likely occur. So in his mind, for me, to live, to be declared innocent, is Christ. We get to declare Christ. This is awesome. And to die, to be declared guilty, is gain. Because, not because I'm getting out of this trouble, but because I am going to be with Christ. So another quote here from Hansen. He viewed his suffering and death as a gain for the advance of the gospel. Because he expected that his death would be the final and most effective witness for Christ. How beautiful is that? Like, you know what? That'd be a great testimony. That if I could die in this manner for Jesus. You prayed that prayer lately? (laughs) Lord, let me die for you so that my death would be a testimony for the gospel. Uh, Julie and I have gone to uh, quite a few uh, funerals lately. And we have been discussing funerals and uh, discussing what might be said or not be said at our funerals and uh, what we would like to be said and what we would not like to be said at our funerals. And I will tell you, I have been to some where the, and you have probably been to some as well, where the preacher was grasping at straws to say anything of redeemable value for the person that had just passed. And it always breaks my heart, one for the preacher, because like, that's awkward. Uh, but I love the funerals where, well, which one of these accounts should we tell? Like, we can't tell them all. Like, it would take days to recount what this person has done for the gospel, to share their love and commitment for Jesus Christ. And to think that your death might, in fact, be the best witness to the testimony of the gospel is a beautiful, beautiful thought. But where I want to uh, spend quite a bit of time here for just a minute is with Dr. Fee. He passed this week. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Those of us in a predominantly reading culture, how many of you read along with me when I read Philippians 1 this morning? Did you read along with me? Okay. Sometimes forget, we sometimes forget that the majority of the first century believers, for, these were, for them, these words were primarily experienced by hearing them read, not by reading. So one of the things that we lose when we don't hear the original language read is all of the really cool rhetorical devices that Paul is bringing into play when he writes what he writes. So we're going to lean into the Greek for just a little bit today. Uh, And I want to show you the first one of these things. So this is what the, so I have transliterated this. Uh, I didn't translate it. I copied what Dr. Fee wrote in his book. So this is from page 160 in case you're wondering. Um, So transliterate means take the Greek letter and put the English letter in its place. So uh, Tazine, I'm going to say these as as best I can. I practiced this several times this week. I was sure Caleb and Julie were going to come in my office and be like, are you speaking in tongues? I don't know. It sounds strange sounds are coming from your office this week. To zine Christos, to apothanin kardos. 
You hear the similarity over here? Christos, kerdos. So I'll, I'll make it a little more uh, colorful for you. So he's got the similar word here, the exact same word on the front. He's got the k, k for Christos and the k, k for kerdos. And then the os at the end. He's giving them a way to remember this very easily. Also, the really cool thing is there was a phrase in common Roman culture at this time that was really, really close to this. And Paul takes out the common word and puts in Christ. I'm not going to show the turducken picture because Mitch hates it so much. But the reality is this is one more example of Paul just saying, how much Jesus can we, can we talk about? How much Jesus can we include? So he's drawing this, this distinction, this, this distinction, this similarity between these two words. So to live, Christ, to die, gain. Does this make sense? You with me, Zeke? Yep. So how have you heard or seen this verse used? We'll open the floor for a moment here. How have you seen or heard this verse used? Missionaries who have given their lives on the field, right, absolutely. And so is that the situation Paul is in right now? I got, in a large degree, yeah, actually. I mean, he's, he's, he got in trouble for doing stuff as a missionary. And remember, I mean, remember back to Acts 16, uh, our first exposure to Philippi. So w- what was, the, what was the, the, who were the founding members of the church at Philippi? So the first person we run into is Lydia with her band of merry women who were, went down by the river to pray, right? Uh, the next person we run into is who? The demon-possessed girl that, uh, and Paul was greatly agitated. <laughs> I love Luke. Luke is just, he just, he puts these little phrases in there and you're like, I got a feeling maybe the doctor side, of, like the human part of Luke, maybe wanted to write a little more here, but I'm glad the Holy Spirit constrained him. Um, yeah, so you've got a, uh, a Gentile woman who engages with wealthy people for business, right? So she's a small business owner, maybe a medium-sized, I don't know. She's, she was doing well. She's selling purple. Uh, we've got a immediately former possessed demon person. And then to round out the, the trifecta of this group, who do we have? The Philippian jailer and his family, who was probably a retired Roman soldier who'd gotten an easy post running a prison in Philippi. Because that's exactly, if you go to missionary school, the type of converts they ask you to go seek out to start a new church, right? Like, do you think that's on the missionary training 101? Here's what you're looking for. The demon possessed. (laughs) The person running the jail. Uh, Like, Lydia might have made the list. Like, look for people who are already gathering together in some type of a way to worship a deity. Cool, maybe. I've never seen anything that would talk about the demon-possessed and a pagan jailer. And this is who he is writing to, and he is saying to live is Christ, to die is gain. And what happened in Philippi, because of how Paul interacted with the demon-possessed girl, 
He got arrested, and then with who? Anybody remember? Yes, Silas, yes. And what happened while they were in prison? There was an earthquake. Did they do anything while they were in prison, Miss Margie Barber? They sang. Yes, they did. They sang. I've always wanted to talk. I, I think I might. I think I'll get the chance. Actually, I will get the chance. That's pretty awesome to talk to the jailer. <laughs> like, so what was going through your mind when they started singing, over and over and over again? <laughs> and then what happened? What happened around that area? There was something like geological that happened, right? There was an earthquake that happened, and the doors swung open. You're like, well, this is, this is getting curiouser and curiouser as we go through this. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. Do you see how that Paul has already modeled in his life that this is true? Like, in Philippi, his first time around, he's already modeled that this is true. This is one more evidence of what I think I've seen a ton of in Philippians so far is he models for them well before he commands them or instructs them, which I think is stunningly beautiful. So uh, I mentioned uh, Dr. Fee uh, passed this week, uh, and I just want to spend a second. I'm going to read you a couple of things real quick. Uh, he was most recently at uh, Regent College uh, in New York. And, well, no, that's not in New York. Regent's in, where's Regent? Is it Pennsylvania? He was at Regent College, so we'll go with that. Um, he was often, I'm going to read you a couple of quotes, uh, and I'll tell you how he impacted my life. Uh, he was often quoted as saying, the concern of the scholar is primarily with what the text meant. The concern of the layperson is usually with what it means. You ever felt that distinction? Right? Like, well, just tell me what to do with this. He said, the believing scholar, because I can't tell you how, many, how much stuff I read about Philippians from people who don't actually believe Philippians was true. The believing scholar insists that we must have both. Um, and I think this is what he modeled quite well. Uh, one of the first uh, Bible study books I ever read was How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. If you've not read this one, I would recommend it. It's a very good one. Um, the first time I read Dr. Fee uh, and kind of got a glimpse of who he was um, was when we went through 1 Thessalonians a few years ago. Anybody remember that? Um, this was the first series that I went through and I thought, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick the hard books. To, as resources, and I almost stopped because of this book, <laughs> uh, because there was so much in here I didn't have a clue what he was talking about, and I decided that, it, but here's the crazy thing, Zeke, so I didn't have a clue what he was talking about, but he would end a paragraph with a, and this is why the believer ought to believe this wholeheartedly. It's like, well, there's something in there. I better go back and reread it again. All right, I'm just try a little harder here. Dr. Fee is going to encourage me to do this. Um, and then, um, and I'll be honest with you, I don't read every one of my commentaries every single week, but I do always read Dr. Fee's for Philippians. Um, 
This is what he wrote on Philippians, guys. <laughs> About half of this is footnotes. If you think the text is hard, don't even bother with the footnotes. It's like, oh my goodness, it's ridiculous. Um, but he was actually selected to succeed F.F. Bruce as the editor of this entire series. So here's what the editor of the series does. The person who goes and spends a decade researching and studying and writing and putting the book together, then the editor reads through and makes sure that the theology is consistent with all the rest. If that sounds, yeah, that's it's very difficult. Yes, that's exactly right. So a couple other things here real quick. Uh, Dr. Fee's lifelong aspiration was to be a, quote, scholar on fire, end quote. Uh, as a young man, Gordon heard a sermon with significant errors. I'm not asking for testimony here. Uh, and upon speaking with the preacher to, blink, to bring clarification, he was rebuked with these words. I'd rather be a fool on fire than a scholar on ice. And Gordon wrote that from that day onward, in prayer and repentance, I committed before my Lord that I would, by God's gracious beneficence, beneficence, who puts beneficence in their <laughs> diary, right? It's like, come on. It's a whole different level of acumen here. It's ridiculous. By God's gracious, uh, we'll just say graciousness, uh, try to pursue excellence in scholarship and remain passionate in my walk with God, I would try to be a scholar on fire. That's my best Daryl Davenport impression right there. I've heard a lot of Daryl this week, so. Um, contrasting to Dr. Fee, here we go. <laughs> um, throughout his academic career, Gordon was a beloved teacher and valued thesis supervisor. He supported students struggling with exegesis. This is pulling out the meaning of the text. Or Greek, with patience and encouragement, often teased for preaching instead of teaching. Gordon would wince, laugh, and admit, I just can't help it. I try not to. Uh, he was equally good-humored when it was noted that his lectures could be heard as far as the regent parking lot, immediately asking, was it any good? <laughs> Which I love. I think that's fantastic. Uh, and we will, we will sort of stop with this one. Pastor John Crosby, a student of Gordon's at Wheaton and Gordon Crom Conwell. Uh, also, do, do any of you guys know Sandy Zenson? Dr. Zinson. Dr. Zinson studied under Gordon Fee at Gordon Conwell, which I think is pretty cool. He remembers his first day of New Testament literature, and apparently this was common for Dr. Fee to do this. So this was like first day. When Gordon boldly jumped up on the desk, just bring to mind any movies? Well, Captain, my Captain, right? He boldly jumped up on the desk at the front of class and announced, this is not a class on New Testament. This is a class on immortality. Someday you will hear, Fee is dead. Do not believe it. He is singing with his Lord and King. And then, Margie, you're up. Gordon led the class in singing, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Now, as I am apt to do, I did a little research on Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Does anybody want to guess how many stanzas uh, Wesley originally wrote for Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing? Eight? We've got a guess of eight? 
Now, if I were you guys, I would lean into what Margie said, because Margie's probably the most well-educated like, <laughs> musician. You probably had a class on music history, too, right? Yeah, of course you did. I don't even know what that is, so that's fantastic. Uh, 18, actually. Eight, we are not singing all 18 today, uh, but we are going to sing, and I've got four verses on the screen. So, Margie, if you would come up and help us through. Um, and I can't tell you how thrilled I am that, uh, that you and Dave are both here. Because I thought that Dave was going to get to do this. I actually emailed you last no. night. I said, I've got a job for you in class. You don't want that. Well, he's told me before that he's been trained in how to do this. No. To, okay. I guess you haven't then. <laughs> he can do this. That, that, that was a you know, middle school summer camp. Middle school summer camp. Oh, okay. You need enthusiasm. Yes, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Awesome. So. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. My gracious Master and my God assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad, the honors of thy name jesus the name that charms our fears that bids our sorrows cease tis music in the sinner's ears tis life and health and peace he breaks the power of cancelled sin he sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. Thank you so much, Ms. Margie. We appreciate that. Don't you guys appreciate that? Amen. And awesome. His blood availed for me. His blood availed for Paul, which is why Paul could write, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. His blood availed for Dr. Fee, who understood that it was not about scholarship. <laughs> it is about living a life of obedience to Jesus Christ. And his blood availed for you, so that we too can say, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Amen and amen. So let's, uh, before I cry even more today, there we go. Uh, let's, uh, you're, you're right here with me, right? Yes, absolutely. The, uh, oh, I didn't do the applications and personalizations. There are two applications and personalizations I knew I would forget. So. Thank you again, Margie. That was awesome. You also kicked it up a notch. I don't know what the musical term is there for that, that fourth verse. Transition. Transition, awesome. <laughs> wasn't nearly as complicated as word I was expecting to hear, so it's fantastic. All right, so application number one, Christ can be honored in our lives. Christ can be honored in our lives. So what do we do with that? Honor Christ in life. I think she liked the singing, too, by the way. That was awesome. It was, I glanced over and I was like, I think she's grinning. That's awesome. 
Application number two, she doesn't like me. That's even better. That's cool. It's probably really good taste. <laughs> Christ can be honored in our deaths. Christ can be honored in our deaths. And in a week where we have experienced loss as a family, I think it is good and right for us to think through what that looks like. So what do you think our personalization is? Honor Christ in death. Honor Christ in death. Amen. So, so one verse week. What in the world? We will try to rectify that next week. All right, so at your tables, you should have your uh, weekly updates. Oh, I almost forgot. If you're interested in all 18 original stanzas, of, there, some of them are like really, I, I cannot believe these did not make the cut. Um, I also found out that in Methodist hymn books, even to this day, this is the first hymn listed. It's, a, it's like they're, like, our, the, like the Baptist National Anthem is, uh, oh my goodness, I've just blinked. Well, I wish. Um, it's Amazing Grace. There we go. Thank you. Yeah, I wish it was the doxology. That would have been better. Um, this is basically their uh, national anthem. But uh, if you want a copy of all 18, I've got them up here. Uh, but your weekly updates, if you would, uh, lean in as a table and pray. Pick a section or two or all. Uh, jot down any new prayer requests. Make sure your attendance is on the other side. Please, those of you that are online, do the same. Oh, good, the archers got to see the song. Yay, I was so excited. Excellent, good. Um, Tim, I missed you and Mila here this morning because I know you would have been just cranking through that and singing wonderfully. So I hope to see you guys in a few minutes. But uh, once you've finished praying, feel free to go and to worship the one who is worth living for and to worship the one who is worth dying for. And we can honor him with both. Thanks, guys. Thanks for engaging, and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.